Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Our epistle this morning is from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. St. Paul founded the church there in Corinth around 50 AD, and he had remained with the Corinthians probably longer than any other group that, uh, that he had started. He was there with them for about a year and a half. His first epistle, from which our lesson is taken, was written just about five to seven years after he had been there with them, so not very long. And from Paul's epistles to this community, which are well known among Christians, of course, we know that they excelled in and were zealous for spiritual gifts. At the same time, they were fraught, they were fraught with a lot of sin, a lot of sinful passions and problems, gossip, backbiting, factions, strife, divisions, even rank immorality. All of these things, in a way, reflected uh, the atmosphere of the city they were in, in Corinth. It was known for its uh, very robust idolatry and lewdness, greed, a factitious spirit in Corinth. And this was all reflected in the church there. As we read the epistles of Paul to the Corinthians, we get a clear sense, very strong impression that this is a very dynamic community. There's a lot going on in lots of different directions, both good and bad. And these epistles are considered as really masterworks of pastoral theology in all of the New Testament. In our reading this morning, taken from chapter 15, Paul warns the Corinthians to stand fast in the gospel they have received by his word of preaching, which he had preached to them just five to seven years earlier. And he warns them, lest their faith be in vain. What is so sobering, and even maybe a little discouraging, I think every pastor certainly wrestles with this. I think we all wrestle with this in our own Christian lives, sometimes as we struggle with our own faithfulness. But certainly the pastorate, as he oversees a community, wrestles with not giving in to discouragement. That um, after having received the gospel of life for so many of us, and we read about these Corinthians after having been delivered from such darkness, being born again into the kingdom of God, being given the gift of the Spirit, a new life, just a short while ago, Already, already they are entangled once again in such terrible sin and immorality, in such divisions, even threatening apostasy. How can this be? How can one come out of darkness, out of utter hopelessness and despair, turn their back with hatred on sin, and yet run back so quickly and so easily how can we forget so quickly the grace we have received? How are we so faithless, so weak, 
that we return to the slavery of Egypt. We have the stories, of course, as St. Paul also tells us, we have the stories of God's Hebrew people in the Old Testament to warn us of this danger. Again and again we read of their return, their return, their forgetfulness of the grace, the love of God. St. Paul calls the attention of these Corinthians to the gospel, the gospel that he had preached unto them. That gospel they had received with faith and joy. That gospel that had pricked their hearts. That had shone like a light in their darkness. It was the word of faith about Jesus. Their Lord. Who had died for their sins, he said. This is the gospel. That he died for your sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead. He conquered the power of sin and death. He set them free. That they might live holy, faithful lives in obedience to God. He says this is not some fable, some mystery, some allegory. This is not like the mystery cults. The pagan rituals in the temple of Aphrodite in your city of Corinth. No, this is real. This Jesus Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth, a real man. He is God in the flesh. He died and he rose again. And he lives now in glorified Human flesh. He was seen by many witnesses, Paul tells them. He appeals to them. This is not some mirage, just some story. He appeared to many witnesses. To Cephas. You all know of Cephas. You've heard of him. The first of the apostles. He appeared first to Cephas and all the other apostles. And James, his own brother. He appeared to his brother, James, his stepbrother. And then he appeared to over 500 brethren, St. Paul says. 500, and most of them are still living today. You can go find them and talk to them about it. And they can bear witness and tell you that they saw the risen Christ. Some of them have gone, fallen asleep in the Lord. But most of them are still alive. And he pleads with the Corinthians about the gospel and the risen Christ upon which their faith rests. And he says, this all happened according to the Scriptures. It's right there in the Bible. It's in the Holy Scriptures. It is what has always been planned in God's plan. It came to pass just as it was foretold. It is the only thing that matters. And yet, Corinthians, you've forgotten. You've forgotten these things as if they don't matter. As if they're just a myth. Some allegory. Some fable. The gospel has been handed down. I didn't make this up. I didn't come up with this on my own. I received it. It was handed down from the apostles, from eyewitnesses. It is there in the scriptures. It has been foretold from days of old. And I, I in turn gave it to you. I preached it to you just as I received it. And the Spirit was with me in my preaching and bore witness in your heart. And you believed. And what did you do? Your eyes were opened. Your ears were opened to hear the gospel. Your hearts were pricked. And you cried out in repentance to be joined to Christ. And what now? Just these few years. Just a couple of years. Just a couple of years already. And you are in danger of forgetting all of these things. And going back to the stench of sin. Well, many had gone back to the stench of sin. If you read the epistle to the Corinthians, some of the immorality that he speaks of is rather disgusting. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, 
by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. Well, we shall be saved. We shall be saved. We are being saved, and we shall be saved if we hold fast to the word of the gospel in which we currently stand. But there is a danger of having believed in vain. You know, it is the little foxes that spoil the vine. To receive the word of faith with joy and then to forget. Just to forget. To get distracted. To have the word stolen out of our hearts or choked by cares and worries of the world, anxieties, or desires of the flesh. These are real dangers for us to take seriously. Dangers of instability and presumption and faithlessness, cold-heartedness. We can wake up one day and realize that we've become cold-hearted in our love for God. It usually does not happen all in a moment. It's not like some grand, one grand failure. It's little by little. It's habitual sin, small habitual sin. Just a little forgetfulness, laziness, slack of mind and body. It begins with a single unchecked thought. A single unchecked thought that gives way to another thought and another thought until the thought becomes actual belief that we indulge and then give ourselves over to and become enslaved to and can't seem to find our way out. And we wake up and we say, how did I find myself here? How did I find myself here? Well, little by little, we found ourselves there. It comes from repeated little disobediences, little disobediences, Habitual minor infractions, carelessness and presumption, carelessness and presumption. Well, it all doesn't matter anyway. You know, we don't see the immediate effects, right? We don't see the immediate effects either of our good deeds, holy living, virtue, obedience. We don't see the benefit always like that. So what does it matter? Might as well just, you know, do what feels good. We also don't see the immediate effects of our little sins. So what does it matter? We might as well indulge. We might as well not foster the fear of God in our hearts. And so it's so easy to just sort of wander off from our faith, from a life of virtue, because we don't see the immediate effects. We don't realize. We're foolish. We don't realize that, you know, God is not knocked. The chickens will come home to roost. There are consequences down the road. That we can only perceive by faith. If we know the truth, if we know God and we know Jesus Christ, if we have faith in the risen Lord, that he has destroyed death. By faith, we know how to live. And we live by faith. That is how we will stay close to Jesus. And that is our struggle, is to keep that faith and to realize, recognize that we are in a battle for our soul. We do have an enemy, and he seeks to destroy you. He hates you, and he wants to destroy you, and he is very crafty. 
He's very crafty. He doesn't come at you with full onslaught that you would recognize. It's in the little insidious things that sneak in slowly, encroach upon your faith. Our foolproof weapon against this is obedience. It's obedience. Don't hear much about that these days. Obedience. You know, I say that a lot in my sermons. Sometimes it occurs to me that when I say it, it doesn't connect. Sometimes when I say it, it doesn't connect in me either. (laughs) I'm not just talking about myself here. I say obedience, and we hear it, and we say, oh yeah, that sounds good. But we don't actually make a concrete connection about what that means. The church tells us how to live, what to do, what not to do. And then we, the preacher stands up and says that the way to keep from falling into sin and the way to preserve your salvation is through obedience because obedience produces humility, which is the most important virtue. That's how you get humility is through obedience, by the way. Obedience produces humility. But we make a disconnect. It just sounds sort of this abstract idea of obedience. You need to translate that down into really hard, concrete things. Like how you live, like when you get up and, you know, what you do with your money and your time and all that stuff. Really concrete stuff. How you talk. But if we will humbly obey by faith, You know, I've encouraged you to go to confession. The church teaches us to go to confession. Some people go to confession. Some people don't. It's a matter of obedience. You have to plan. You have to put it on a calendar. And you have to go. And then you have to prepare for it before you go. So if you go to confession, and you actually prepare for confession, the way this works is, if you had been having some habitual sort of little sins in your life that arrests that arrests things it turns you back in the right direction so it's through the obedience of going to confession that you're safe that keeps you safe it's coming to church not missing church that's obedience you're not to miss church it's not a suggestion it's not a suggestion. It's a rule. Don't miss church. You can go on vacation once in a while. You should, you should never miss Sunday. And you should be here as much as you possibly can besides that. You know, there's a canon in the church. This isn't much followed anymore. But if you miss three Sundays in a row, you have, you have essentially excommunicated yourself from the church. You technically, I shouldn't serve you communion until you come back to confession if you miss three Sundays. Especially if there's sort of, you know, unexcused absences, if there's a, you know, if you've been sick or something, that's different. So that's how seriously the church takes that. These are the kinds of things that keep you oriented in the right direction. These obediences. And they produce humility in your life. You know you're not your own God. You've submitted your life to Jesus Christ. He is your Lord. You've given yourself to him. 
We see in our gospel lesson this morning how the Logos creator takes one of his disfigured sons, this deaf mute, and through a process he reforms and refashions and transfigures him into a new creature capable of receiving the life of God. But as we see in the gospel lesson, it's a process. Jesus goes through this process, not because he's incapable of just healing the man with a word. That's not the point of the story. Jesus is illustrating for us that it is a process, our recreation. That we are walking through in this life. He is restoring us and sanctifying us to immortality. But we must see it out to the end. We must not abort the process, this process of healing and transformation in our lives. We must keep Jesus and his body at the very center of our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.